Music Industry Podcast, and I'm David Andrew Let's dig in. Today, I'd like to welcome performer and teaching artist Dave Ruck to the show. How are you today, Dave? I'm doing great. How about you, David? I'm doing well. A little bit tired. It's a busy week for me, but I'm always happy to do these interviews. You know, you said that you originally came across my blog because of what I shared about productivity advice towards the beginning of the year. I always feel like beginning of the year is the right time to share that kind of stuff. But it's cool to hear that my posts are kind of getting shared around a bit and are getting noticed. Was there anything that struck you about that post? Or, um, I, You know, I think you were one of the first when I I've just recently started blogging, writing articles for musicians and performers. Mm. And uh, your website was one of the first ones when I started to Google around a little bit to, you know, who else is doing this and what are they writing about? Um, yours was one of the first one that came up. And um, I've always been I've been very impressed with sort of the the uh, just the the tech technical quality of your site, if you will. Uh, mm-hmm. It's really it's really um, well laid out. I think it's really easy to read, and and of course, there's great advice there. So, I mean, those are the things that have struck me right off the bat. Mm. Thank you for saying that, and I and I definitely appreciate that. So, I imagine you know you must have come across some of the other notable online music bloggers too, right? Uh, maybe um, I don't. I can't say that I've found a ton, um, hmm. and you know also. The the type of uh, musician and performer that I'm sort of writing for is really a subset of kind of. Uh, there seem to be a lot of people writing for uh, people who who want to sort of you know get their music heard across the world and um, sort of you know build a a career in the mainstream music industry, uh, and so. Uh, what I've been writing about and, and where I've been focused for the last 25 years is um, doing all my performing is kind of more on a local and regional level, sort of how to make a great living as a musician without without sort of a need for the music industry per se. In other words, how to be a working musician and make a really good living um, and be able to be home at night and not sort of have to feel like you're tied into uh, royalties from streaming and all the stuff that, you know, so many other musicians are are wrestling with. So um, that's all a long way, I guess, of saying that a lot of the music blogs out there don't necessarily speak, I don't think, to the same audience that I am. Well, yeah. And first of all, I just want to say, I think that's a totally legitimate career path, even for the audience that I'm speaking to. I think if you can establish yourself on a local and regional level, especially, I think, you know, there's a necessity to be in the right place. I don't think you can kind of just set that up anywhere, like in a small town, unless you're surrounded by some, some bigger cities that you can, and markets that you can tap into. But I do, I do feel that, you know, the self initiated career or is, is also very entrepreneurial, uh, despite kind of how that sounds. Absolutely. Yeah. So I like that a lot. I wanted to ask you a little more about your advice blog that you started. Mm-hmm. So how has that been going for you so far? It seems like you've actually been getting some good engagement and comments on your posts. Yeah, it's been going great. Um, you know, I sort of initially started it um, just back in December. So just, you know, four months ago. 
initially to help some some pretty talented musician friends of mine who all seemed to have a common complaint or two which which was that you know they just weren't making enough money they weren't able to you know there's a great sort of local music scene here in buffalo um and so a lot of these people are i mean super great musicians and singers and performers who are out making 50 60 75 or 100 bucks a night um doing gigs but it's the same pay scale that they've been working with for 20 or more years um Mm. and you know about 20 years ago i stumbled into this whole other way to do music that involves um kind of doing a bit of educating while you entertain people um so in venues like schools and museums and libraries and um so I've sort of myself backed away from doing a lot of sort of nighttime gigging. Um, and it, for mm-hmm. me, for me, it was just a byproduct of um, having kids, you know, starting to raise a family and wanting to be home more and stuff like that. So um, th- the response has been great. I started it, you know, sort of to help some other local musicians find some new opportunities where they could actually make a much better uh, paycheck uh, and still you know, be home at night or, or at least sort of be based, uh, in their home region. And so, uh, that's sort of how it started. I had, you know, maybe 35 or 40, uh, subscribers who were all people that I knew personally. Mm-hmm. And I just started to publish. I've been publishing one article a week on, on marketing yourself and finding different opportunities and, you know, grant funding for musicians and topics like that. And, um, so it's really been spreading. I've got now several hundred subscribers and most of whom I don't know or have never met and from all over the world who are sort of finding it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it seems like, I mean, every week it's growing by, you know, 20 to 50 new subscribers a week. Um, so it's been really great. It's been gratifying and it's been really fun to see what everybody what all the subscribers, what they do, you know, what kind of music are they doing and what are their questions? And, and so there's, um, there's a comment section on every blog post that I publish. So it's really a great way to get some feedback, you know? Mm. Well, congratulations. That's awesome to hear. And there's several aspects that I want to touch on that you just kind of went, went through there, but you have a pretty amazing website and online presence. How significant is that for you? How important is the online component to what you do? Oh, it's huge. I mean, it's Mm. everything at this point. I mean, uh, I mean, on the performing side, my website is essentially, you know, an interactive brochure of sorts where, um, my website is really geared not for fans at all, but for people who are considering hiring me. Um, but then the blog side of it, which is, you know, where I write for other musicians and performers, um, I wouldn't be able to do that without, you know, I mean, the internet is the great equalizer, right? And it gives us all a platform and all a place to share things and, and hopefully, uh, a place for people to find, uh, our ideas and our music. And so, yeah, I mean, the website is critical to all of that. Mm. Now, if someone else was looking to set up an effective website, what sort of tips would you have for them? Ah, um, I guess it depends, you know, you'd have to take a look at what are your goals or, you know, are your goals to, um, engage your fan base or, and, and create an, you know, sort of a robust 
email list of of fans and supporters of what you do? Are your goals to with for your website more in terms of getting bookings? Um, but I think I think overall, you know, just to to make a general sort of statement about that. I think it's super important to be able to capture as many visitors to your site as you can mm-hmm. in one way or another so that you can keep in touch with them, right? If somebody's visited your website once, they had some kind of initial interest in what you do or at least curiosity. Yeah. So the more of those people you can sort of stay connected with, um, whether that means encouraging them to opt in to your email list um, and maybe giving them some incentive to do that. Or even um, uh, for a couple of years now, I've been using these Facebook pixels. Do you know about those or do you use those, David? Remarketing pixels, right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. So you can place, Facebook allows you, uh, will provide a, a pixel, which is essentially a piece of code that you can put on your website. And what it does is it creates an audience in within Facebook, it creates an audience of people who visited your site who also happen to have Facebook accounts, right? Mm-hmm. Little, it's a little bit, little bit creepy in in a sense, <laughs> uh, but it's not quite as creepy as you know when you're on uh, Barnes and Noble and you look at a new, a new uh, razor blade shaver, yeah. you know, and then it follows you around the internet for the next three weeks. But it'll save an audience of anyone who's visited your site who also has a is connected to a Facebook account. And then when you want to go and when you have something you're trying to promote, whether it's a gig or whether it's a new CD or, uh, in my case, you know, a new article I've published, I can, uh, target just those people who've already been to my website. So they already Mm -hmm. have some familiarity with me. Um, so those kinds of things I think are super important for a website is just being able to kind of capture as many of your visitors as you can. Yeah, I think that's really smart. Um, you're, you're talking about some advanced things kind of in a space where I think a lot of musicians even struggle with the idea of having a website or when they hear that they should have one, they go, really, why? You know, I can just have a blogger. Oh, really? <laughs> blog. Oh, yeah, definitely. There's musicians, musicians out there. So I just need a Reverb Nation page or I just need a blogger blog. And why would I um, Why would I want to set up a .com website? Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's always going to be your hub and it's always going to be the place that you own as opposed to the place that, um, you know, SoundCloud owns or Reverb Nation owns or anybody else, you know. So that's where you can control the experience the most for your visitors. And it's always going to be important. I totally feel the same way. So awesome. You really got, it sounds like you've really got kind of the marketing side together. So what are some other ways that you're do the marketing online with your website and your social media presence? Um, you know, social media, I think for so many of us, we've all been experimenting with, you know, what's the best way to use it. And, and, um, I think we've all had the experience of creating a, a Facebook. We'll just use Facebook as an example. Um, I guess my three main channels are Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. I'm Mm. kind of, I'm kind of an old I'm an old guy. I'm 50 years old. So uh, things like Instagram and Snapchat are not really where my audience hangs out. Um, but if, if we take Facebook as an example, um, you know, I think so many of us have set up a page for our band or our, or our you know, our music career or whatever it is that we do. And uh, over time, we've seen the level of engagement there 
um, just sort of plummet, where we used to be able to reach a fair number of the people who've liked our our page, and now it's down to you know, and there's an average engagement level or an average reach for a, a Facebook post to your page of about one to three percent of your audience, right? So it's become increasingly hard to to rely on social media in order to get the word out uh, in terms of marketing. So for me, it's, it's all surround email is sort of the, the, the key hub, you know, I mean, email is how I do all my marketing in terms of, uh, generating work for myself, generating gigs. I have a massive email database that I've just built up over 20 years of the Mm -hmm. the kind, the kinds of venues that tend to hire performers like me. And I encourage anybody who's serious about, you know, um, making a good career for themselves to, you know, literally one name at a time, start building a really, uh, a really strong email list of potential venues that you have been in touch with that you would like to work for. Um, because it's all about, I'm right. In fact, I'm writing an article about this right now. It's all about reaching out to these places uh, repetitive, continuously over time. Not that's not to say spamming them or bombarding them with stuff, but um, after you know, literally hundreds of thousands of in the old days postcards I used to mail out to venues and brochures, and now it's emails. Um, what I've learned is that you send, and I think a lot of people get caught up here. You send your promotion stuff to somebody once and when you don't hear back from them you're kind of disappointed and you feel like oh they must not be interested right what I've learned over time is it's not until the sixth seventh eighth time they've heard from you that they start to remember know who you are remember who you are and start to consider you Um, so it's it's a long game it's really all about sort of continuing to stay on people's radars over time uh, at least that's how it's worked out for me. Mm. Well, it really is the same thing with getting interviews like this too. When you're doing podcast interviews and you're reaching out to maybe someone a little more high profile, I mean, <laughs> whether they they are high profile or not, honestly, there's there's a lot of follow up work involved. So it, it's very similar too. You can't just follow up once and go, oh well, they don't care and they don't like me or something like that. You know, we right. we, we play those mind games, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But you said, and and I totally agree. You said something super important there, which was building your email database. So I'm guessing part of that was collecting emails as shows that you did initially, and then also collecting emails online through your website too, right? Yes. And, uh, in terms of my email database, um, you know, I'm talking about an email list of, of, uh, venues of places. Ah, I see contact people at places that book people uh performers and so that's been built up you know like i said sort of one person at a time um just through going online you know a lot of my work is in schools going in and doing performances for kids of different ages and sort of tying the theme of the performance into something they might be studying so in my case i do a lot of historical music and and older traditional music so um you know, I know that third graders all across New York State, where I live, learn about world cultures and world communities. So I've put this concert together of music from and instruments from around the world. And I come in and I demonstrate these different instruments and I sing some songs from different cultures. So, um, you know, sort of one 
one school at a time, finding out who's the person who tends to hire performers to come in and reaching out to them initially and then adding them to my email list so that over time, over 20 years of doing this, um, you know, I've, I've built up a huge database of people who are in these positions to hire performers. And so mm. that's really been, that's, that's been the whole key to me being able to, to make a, a good living at it. Awesome. I like that. I want to circle back to this idea of getting established locally. So what tips would you have for musicians that are trying to do that? Um, gosh, in terms of getting, I mean, I think it's all about networking, right? I mean, just getting out, getting out into the music scene and meeting as many people as you can and going to as many different shows as you can and, and starting to collaborate with people and, and starting to promote them, um, you know, forward some of their stuff through your social media rather than always talking about yourself. Um, you know, these are the ways, if you think about it, you know, anything we try to do in terms of marketing ourselves, the same rules apply, um, as when we're meeting someone, you know, in another context in our, in our day-to-day lives. Um, we don't, when we meet someone for the first time, we don't decide to bring them home with us or, um, you know, uh, go into business with them or make any kind of other mm-hmm. big, big transaction. It's, it's all about building relationships, right. And yeah. in, in an organic way. So think just getting out there and, and getting to know as many people as you can. And then as you start to look for better gigs than the, you know, the $75 bar gig, um, I think it's all about connecting with the the funding organizations where you live. So in other words, arts councils, um, granting organizations who provide funding for performances. Um, these are, these are sort of the next level where if you're interested in really making a sustainable living, I mean, I, for a, quite a while I was giving guitar lessons out of my house and playing in bars and, uh, I was scrapping an okay living together as a musician when I was in my twenties. But I just got to a point in later in my 20s and into my 30s where I just needed to be making a lot more money at it if I was going to continue to do music full time, which is really what I wanted to do. So, um, yeah, then it, it becomes a matter of connecting with the cultural organizations in town and the arts councils and, and those kinds of places that can um, that can really uh, get you, again, networked and connected with a whole nother range of people who are kind of um, – Arts, you know, there's there's a whole world of arts programming that's sort of, in my mind, um, uh, kind of I don't want to say above the level of performing locally in in clubs and stuff, but it's um, it, it it's a very established industry. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, there, there's just there's a whole world of opportunities out there. Um, and I think it just comes back to getting connected, you know, just getting to know as many people as you can. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, there's probably musicians like me who can relate to this idea of the, the minutia of playing in a bar. Not, yeah. not certainly not to like insult uh, any no. any venue, right? But like that can definitely wear on you over time. And then you want to seek better opportunities in a sense, right? You do or you don't. I mean, 
I mean, for some people, um, playing in bars is just exactly what they want to do. I, right. You know, nothing against any of that. Um, you know, my approach, as I said earlier, has been based more on the necessity of like, I got to figure out how to make more money than I'm making yeah. playing in bars. Right. So right. Uh, that's, that's sort of where I've come to with it. And I do, um, I guess we talked about it a little in the beginning. I, I have several really super talented friends, musicians locally who are, do feel stuck in that, in that, in the bar scene and, as being someplace they they no longer are happy being right. I was happy doing bar gigs. I mean that that's one of the most fun things you can do as a musician, right? Mm. Um, so yeah, it's it, it's all based on your needs and and what you need to accomplish with your music. Yeah, and I guess that's my main point. Like you might have to look for opportunities. Maybe not, but in some cases you might have to look for opportunities outside of bars and pubs to yep. sort of find something that that helps you make a career out of it. Yeah, exactly. Um, I guess you mentioned earlier this, there's a lot of artists that kind of struggling with money and they're asking for, and I guess it's kind of related to what we just talked about, but you know, they're struggling with money and they're trying to figure out how to do it and they're looking for advice. So what kind of things are you sharing with them? Um, my main, you know, my avenue into making a much better living with music has been, as I sort of touched on, um, this this whole world of educational performing, where uh, you're no longer strictly entertainment. Your entertainment that's teaching something, or you're um, teaching something in an entertaining way, right? And that can be done for adult audiences in all kinds of different venues, in folk music venues, in um, concert series. Um, I've discovered that just about every audience we're in front of really appreciates learning something uh, while they're being entertained. And that might be something as small as sort of giving some historical context to some of the songs that you're doing. Um, or, I mean, there's a, there's, a, there's a million different ways to tie some sort of interesting information um, not related to you or, you know, here's a song I wrote when I was thinking about this and here's a song I wrote when I was thinking about that. Um, there's a whole world of, of sort of ways to combine uh, really interesting things that you're interested in from other facets of your life. Uh, for me, it's history, but for other people, it can be any number of other things. Mm -hmm. To tie that in and, and weave some of that into your performances and get real comfortable kind of you know, talking to an audience in a way that you're uh, you're bringing them in and inviting them to learn things not about you but about something else while you're performing, um, and that so that for me that's been the way to get out of uh, to get into sort of the next level income wise is mm -hmm. to pr pursue those kinds of performances. I wrote a, a a post on that that has been very popular. Um, that a lot of people have said was kind of eye-opening for them. And uh, so I could send a link to you or just mention the title of it if anybody wanted to look for it online. Yeah. It, uh, the article's called Educate Your Audience and Write Your Ticket. Um, so meaning the day that I started to add some educational content to my performances was the day that I started being able to work in, in a whole new realm of places. 
Um, not so, so not only can you work where musicians work in clubs and, and restaurants and uh, coffee houses and bars and wherever else, but now for me, I can work at historical societies because some of the music I do has a real historical context and I can package it in such a way that it appeals to a museum or a historical society or a library. These, these gigs that these venues that we don't tend to think of as being, you know, venues for a music gig. Mm. So that's always my advice to people be, simply because that's the way I've done it. You know, that's the only way I know. Um, I can't teach people how to, um, how to, uh, you know, get a million views on YouTube or how to, uh, really make a living selling, uh, you know, with streaming music or selling downloads, because that that's not something I've done, mm -hmm. you know. So my angle is always sort of finding a different way to perform so that you can so that you can sort of uh, get to the next level. OK, yeah, I like that. And you kind of touched on a couple of things that I wanted to ask next, which is great. Maybe talk a little bit about, more about this idea of educational concert. What exactly is it? Um, well, I'll just I'll, I'll explain some of the stuff I do. So um, one of the things I do is I travel around the state for the New York Council for the Humanities. That's sort of uh, the sister organization to the State Arts Council, right? There's an most municipalities will have an arts council, and they will also have a humanities council. So I travel around the state for the New York Council for the Humanities doing what's called lecture concerts. It's lecture slash concert, meaning, you know, you're in these venues like colleges and, and historical societies and those kind of places, and you have a theme to your, your presentation. So I do music from the War of 1812, for instance, right? So it's a musical presentation, but the audience is sort of learning about the War of 1812 at the same time, right? So there's about eight or ten different themes that I do that tend to tie into history. Sometimes it's a music theme. Sometimes it's sort of, you know, the American folk bag. And, and we'll talk about and I'll do I'll bring music from all over different little nooks and crannies of American life from the past. You know, songs that Alan Lomax collected and uh, field hollers from the American South and, and uh, riverboat songs from the Mississippi River and sort of... Uh, telling a tale of of uh you know homespun america through the music so these are the kinds of things that i do um but there are people in this world of educational performing that that do things about you know the, may, their passion is the environment for instance so they've written uh, a whole um sort of a bag of songs um of, uh, surrounding environmental issues and so they can now work not only again where musicians work, but there are um, you know there are environmental organizations that hire them, and there are uh, nature centers that hire them, and there are um, you know different opportunities for them because they're bringing this educational component to it. And schools isn't would be another one. Um, so that's sort of what I mean by educational performing is just. Um, taking something else that you're interested in and 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 probably for a lot of people if they're writing their own music what are they writing about if you take a look there's probably some themes in there that you could pull out and actually package in such a way that um it could provide you some new opportunities in terms of places to play i think that's a really great approach and maybe one that 
a lot of people haven't necessarily considered. Yeah, I mean, I stumbled into it, that's for sure. I was about <laughs> 20 years ago, and a friend called me up. You know, I was a gigging musician at the time, and he said, we got this group that goes into schools and does Erie Canal music. So the Erie Canal is a sort of a local waterway that, that changed uh, changed life here in the northeastern U.S., uh, back in the 18, early 1800s. And, and uh, so I had to learn this whole body of Erie Canal songs, which, you know, I had no idea what that meant. Or, And then I had to learn some speaking lines and we went into the school and did this gig. And that's sort of, so I literally, I mean, I thought it was the weirdest thing in the world to go in, <laughs> to go to go to a gig at 8.30 in the morning rather than 8.30 at night. And, um, you know, have these, this, this sort of there was a little bit of comedy in the show and some some set lines I had to say every time and it was all very strange at first but it really opened my eyes to it but yeah I, I think it's it's an unknown uh, an unknown <laughs> way to make to make uh, art and to make music for a lot of people exactly well at, at the same time you know in this niche oriented world that we're now in. I do hear about children's music artists and I think one of top uh, CD Baby's top sellers for a long time was a lady who sailed full time and then wrote about, you know, her travels ah. and that kind of stuff. So I Exactly. Yeah, I think it's a totally valid approach in a sense, but I think it does take self-awareness too in knowing what your theme is or what you're trying to share with your audience. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, let's talk a little bit about the various concerts and workshops that you do. And you kind of touched on it, but I know that you serve, you kind of serve several different audiences in several different ways. So I'd love yeah. to hear more about that. Sure. I mean, I do occasionally just get to play music for fun. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Which is, uh, which is always a treat. I'd say 95% of the time I'm performing solo, just again, uh, for economic reasons. Mm -hmm. Um but I do have a band, and we play occasionally, and um, there's a slight bit of education involved. We do sort of older American uh, folk traditions. You know, we do sea shanties and cowboy songs and stuff like that. It's mostly just for fun, um, and we play in folk venues and, and um, you know, performing arts centers and places like that and give concerts and get people singing, and it's all great fun. Um so that's one of the contexts I perform in. And then there's a probably 50% of my work is with kids in one form or another, whether that's in schools or outside of schools in places like libraries and uh, community centers and, and places like that where I'll come in and do a concert for kids. And again, there's, you know, depending on the, the context, there might be a lot of education or there might, if I'm outside of a school setting, it might just be songs for fun with kids, you know. But I bring in historical instruments like the Jews harp and the spoons and the washboard and, and mandolins and banjos that they've never seen before. Uh, so that's all fun. And then there's the stuff uh, I do for adults, which is, um, you know, kind of lecture concert type presentations on, on different themes. So those are, the, I guess, kind of the three main contexts I perform in. And occasionally I'll just go sit in with a band for fun, you know. Um, my kids are finally getting old enough to where my wife and I feel like we're we're getting freed up a little bit in terms of being able to go out and, and mm -hmm. enjoy, enjoy the local nightlife and the local scene again. So um, that's always fun as well. I've, you know, I've, I've grown up 
playing all kinds of stuff, blues and rock and roll and jazz and country music and, and bluegrass and old time. And so my interests are pretty broad in terms of music. And I still love to go hear people play and sit in with people. Yeah. And then on YouTube, you have videos where you're teaching people how to play spoons and things like that. <laughs> That's right. So there's also kind of an educational angle to, to your to your videos as well, which I like. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I've found um, that one of the best ways to get some traction on social media, for instance, is, you know, not to not to push, push, push and promote, you know, here's my CD, here's my next gig. Yeah. But to actually share something that some people might be able to interact with and get some value out of, right? So not everybody wants to learn to play the spoons, but anytime I, I share that video, it it sort of creates, you know, people start people for whom it sort of struck their fancy, they'll start sharing it and commenting on it. And uh it's a great way. So I've put these little educational videos together and I also send them to schools. It's great promotion. Like mm-hmm. they can sort of see and feel my vibe and, and what it is I do with kids and it gives them a better um, opportunity to figure out if if it'd be something they'd want to hire for their their school. Um, so yeah, those those are fun putting those little educational videos together and just you know people are curious and people love to be entertained and they love to to learn something. So if you can help them do any of those things, I think you know we're all on the right track. Yeah, I think you said something that's really key there, which is not to just go on social media and go vote for us, buy our album, come yeah. to our show. You know, that just gets lost in the noise, yeah. especially. I mean, I've tried that too. I think, <laughs> you know, but you learn pretty quickly that, yeah, I mean, that's not why people are on social media. No, exactly. You can definitely share news and valuable stories and things like that. Or, or again, what you said about educating people or creating something that they'll want to interact with and engage with. And that's definitely a, a more viable approach. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think so I guess I could have even asked this at the beginning, but you know, you're making a living as a performer and teaching artist. I'm sure, you know, I'm aware that there's a bit of a story behind this. So how did that all come to be? Um, well, a couple of things, um, that phone call I got 20 years ago from my friend who was doing these Erie Canal songs in schools that was sort of my entree into this world of, of uh, educational performing. Um, but at the same time, I was experiencing some difficulty. I had a, a, a difficult uh, tendonitis problem in my right arm from oh. re- really from overplaying. You know, I was never trained in proper um, technique in terms of I started on guitar and now I play a bunch of different stringed instruments. Uh, and mm-hmm. so... Over the course of many years of, you know, banging out music in bars and, and um, I ended up really doing some damage to my right arm. Um, I was playing through some pain and uh, just holding much too much tension in my right arm when I was playing. I was playing a fair amount of bluegrass music, which can be uh, sort of physically demanding uh, in terms of the tempos and stuff. And so just playing through bad technique for too long uh, – sort of landed me with this arm injury and I really needed to back away from those kind of gigs where I was going to be playing hard for three and four hours. I just, I needed to take a break from it. And so that happened at the same 
some time that I started to do this work in schools and I thought, okay, you know, doing a 45 minute performance in a school where I'm sort of talking some of the time and singing some of the time and playing and the playing is real loose. It's not super demanding. Um, that seemed like, you know, something that I needed to pursue, um, as aggressively as I could so that I could continue to, to do music full time without destroying my arm. And so that all happened sort of at a really serendipitous time, you know? Gotcha. So sort of the, the tendonitis coincided with your move towards working in schools. I remember chatting with my, my friend Patrick about this way back when, I think in the early uh, days of my, my first podcast where he was also overplaying. And uh, although he was being trained, I think it was kind of in a classical environment. So, you know, there's a lot of perfectionism in, in that sort of circle, especially on the guitar. So yeah, I think, over practicing over playing can definitely be harmful yep well it was for me and you know i know plenty of people who've never had an issue with it who've been banging it out for 40 years but for me uh yeah that was that was a big issue and you know still to this day if i if i do too much sort of really demanding playing over too long of a period of time that that old injury flares right back up so i i guess i found a way to work around it over over time Right, so you're not necessarily always playing, you know, three sets of 45 minute a night, the standard pub format, right? Yeah, almost never, yeah. Yeah, okay, awesome. Are there any books you've read recently or in the past that have really impacted your thinking or approach to your career? Huh, well, you know, um, I read a fair amount of marketing books (laughs) because I just think, you know, we're all in business, basically, and if you're not treating... And if if we're not treating it that way, it's, there's a there's a small likelihood that it's going to work out in terms of doing it full time, you know. Exactly. Um, so I really pay a lot of attention to the current thinking in terms of uh, how to market ourselves, and and really, I mean, there's a lot of great great free content out there. It seems like you avail yourself of this as well. Um, that's being put out by people uh, who are doing essentially what's called content marketing, which is people who'd love for you to buy something from them, uh, marketing consultants and such. But in order to uh, attract the right audience to them, they're putting out all this valuable information for free. And so uh, there are podcasts and blogs and and all kinds of places where you can learn. You can really uh, stay current on what are the best practices for using social media to market myself? What are the best practices for blogging or doing a podcast or, you know, so I, I spend a fair amount of time reading stuff like that. Um, and in terms of, I mean, there was one book I read when I first started, when I decided I wanted to do a lot more of this kind of school performing, uh, um, there was a book I read called how to make money in schools, (laughs) Hmm. uh, surprisingly enough. And, um, I think that's still out there. It's probably pretty outdated at this point. This was 20 years ago. But that was actually really helpful for me just in terms of it was a a duo from out somewhere in the Pacific Northwest, uh, um, Seattle maybe or that area, um, who had been working in schools for a long time. And they'd sort of learned the ins and outs of how to promote yourself to schools and what to do when you're there and how to sell your merchandise at a school, how to sell your CDs. Um, so that was one that was another one that was really useful for me in terms of um, stuff I've been able to apply to my career. Yeah. 
You're absolutely right. I am a big proponent of content marketing, not necessarily for the money that it's made me directly, but for the many opportunities that it has brought me. You know, pretty soon people are asking, hey, could you come and write for us? And then I'm, you know, become a staff writer on another blog. And mm-hmm. so for that kind of opportunity, it's it's been invaluable, really. Yeah, same. And actually, one of my favorite books I read recently on that topic was Content Inc. by Joe Polizzi. Yeah, same. I oh, read that book. You did? Yeah. Yep. Awesome. Such a great book. Yeah. Uh, I just couldn't put it down. And I was actually hoping it was longer, even though it's a really big book. <laughs> yep. And I've heard him speak so many times on podcasts and such that I felt like I knew part of his story already, but it was great. It was great to read. And he gave a lot of good sort of practical um, uh, sort of case studies from people who've used that model in order to build, yep. a, business, build a business for themselves. I was just today... As a matter of fact, um, there was a, a podcast that came out that I, I was um, fortunate to be interviewed in on uh, marketing on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, the podcast is called The Missing Link Podcast. It's put together by Rainmaker. And uh, they reached out to me and they were just they were super surprised that a, any musician would be on LinkedIn at all. <laughs> and so they really wanted to know, you know, why did you decide to be there in the first place and what made you think that LinkedIn would be a place where you could get some traction? And so they had me on their podcast. It just came out today. I could send you a link to that. Um, Absolutely. And, uh, but yeah, that was sort of the sentiment is like, what would, a, what would an artist be doing on LinkedIn? You know? So yeah, and that, that all comes from reading content marketing stuff and realizing that, you know, there are lots of different places we can be and lots of different ways to um, connect with with our potential audiences. And, and uh, so I've learned so much from from Joe Polizzi and, and from other people, uh, other content marketers. Very cool. And, you know, when other people say why, I've always been the guy to say why not. You know, I don't want, I wouldn't want any musician to kind of go like, okay, so does that mean I should add Snapchat and Instagram and right. every app under the planet? I go, no, you should probably only commit yourself to whatever resources you have and time you have. But if you've determined that your, you know, your audience is younger, then why not be on Snapchat? Absolutely. So, yeah. And, you know, I think so many of us today are feeling this pressure that we that we need to be everywhere, you know. We need to be doing Meerkat or Periscope and we need to be on Snapchat and we need to be on Pinterest and we, you know, and there's just, there's too many channels now. And I think a lot of the current sort of best practices thinking is that find the one or two or maybe three that that you can get some traction on where your audience is actually hanging out and, and that are, you seem to be able to, uh, connect with people on and just focus on those, right. Rather than trying to do every single one of the, yes, we have a Pinterest page and yes, we have an Instagram page, but there's no, there's nothing there. There's no engagement. Yeah. 100%. And I know Joe Polizzi is also a proponent of that these days, but I totally agree with him. If it's too much, start subtracting. Don't add to your yeah, to mess. Right. You know? right. Yeah. Get get focused. Absolutely. So is there anything else I should have asked you? We've covered quite a bit of ground, but Wow, we sure have. No, uh you know, there's questions I'd love to ask you. I'd love to hear how you got into this, but maybe I'll have to get you onto my podcast. Hey, I'm happy to return <laughs> the favor. Absolutely. 
not that I not that I have a podcast, but uh, <laughs> but, but when I do, no, this is this has been great. Um, just welcome anybody. All the stuff on on my blog is is completely free and and there for people to get some new ideas from. And uh, it's not all about educational performing. I write a lot about just sort of general marketing stuff that applies to musicians. Thanks for listening. Make sure to go to musicentrepreneurbook.com for show notes and other goodies. And leave a review in iTunes to help us spread the word. 